as we mentioned two to three weeks ago, the Fed announced that they're going to be buying investment-grade bonds. But now, as of last Thursday, what they announced was they're going to be buying fallen angels. Welcome to Views from the Desk, a special edition of the BMO ETFs podcast. In these timely episodes, we provide the latest investment news and expert commentary on the markets, the economy, and investing. Brought to you by BMO Global Asset Management. Hello, and thanks for joining us today. In this episode, Mark Ray speaks with Chris Heeks and Alfred Lee about the possibility of an earnings shock due to the prolonged economic shutdown and which defensive exposures can help advisors gather income and insulate the portfolio from greater risk. Before we hear from our experts, we'd like to remind you that when buying and selling ETFs, it's best to avoid trading near the open and close of the market, especially during periods of heightened volatility. We also recommend using limit orders and revisiting those orders regularly during the day, given that markets may continue to shift dramatically in these turbulent times. Hello and welcome to the BMO GAN Canada ETF Weekly Insights Call. I'm your host, Mark Rays. I'm the head of product for BMO GAN Canada, covering mutual funds and ETFs. I'd like to thank everyone for taking the time to join us today. We're joined today by Chris Heeks and Alfred Lee. As this is the only call we're going to have this week due to the, the holiday weekend, uh, we're going to look to cover equity and fixed income today. Chris is a portfolio manager focusing on equity strategies as well as option strategies. And Alfred is focused on fixed income and is also our ETF strategist. So thank you to both for joining us today. So Alfred, let's start with fixed income, where we've now seen the Fed come in to support high-yield bonds. We're waiting for the Bank of Canada announcement today, where we expect there could be further intervention. Can you walk us through the support? What does it mean for the riskier or higher income uh, bond sectors? And then is there a better chance to include corporates in the portfolio? We know that last week you spoke about high quality and being defensive. Uh, Is there a fixed income ETF right now you'd point us to for higher yield? Thank you. Sure. Um, So, you know, we've been talking on the past several calls in, in terms of, you know, what the Fed has been doing. Um, so obviously, you know, as we mentioned two to three weeks ago, the Fed announced that they're going to be buying uh, investment-grade bonds. But now, as of last Thursday, what they announced was uh, they're going to be buying fallen angels. So not quite high yield, uh, but essentially bonds that have been downgraded from investment-grade to high yield. So this only applies to bonds that were investment-grade as of March 22nd. But they did announce that they're going to buy some high-yield exposure through high-yield ETFs lifted down in the U.S. as well. Uh, but overall, I think this should be supportive of credit. I think, you know, one of the main concerns over the last several weeks was that the credit rating agencies essentially were slow to downgrade a lot of the corporations in, in recent years. Uh, so Ford being a good example. So the thought on the street essentially is, is that the credit rating agencies essentially have to act very swiftly now over the next several months in order to restore their credibility. So one of the main concerns in the triple B segment of the investment grade universe was that you know the triple Bs were vulnerable, uh, especially if the lockdowns persist. Given that you know their balance sheets are going to be a little bit weaker than say like say A plus uh, corporations, 
So in terms of Bank of Canada side, uh, as you mentioned, they are expected to make a policy announcement uh, at 10 o'clock today. So the expectation is that, um, you know, a lot of people are trying to guess what they're what they're going to announce. Uh, but, you know, keep in mind that they've already announced that their overnight rate, you know, at, at 0, 0.25, they, they already want that to be their lower bound. So I don't think it's going to be a rate cut expectation. Uh, but they've already announced the bond buying program as well. So they they have been buying, or they announced that they're going to be buying uh, government bonds, commercial paper, mortgage-backed securities as well. So, you know, the thought around the street is that they may be dialing up their risk, uh, so potentially moving into things like provincials, things like uh, investment-grade credit as well. But I think overall, they already have the go-ahead to buy investment-grade credit, which, again, I think is going to be very supportive for uh, the credit markets in general. But I think, you know, my opinion, I do think that they should have the financial stability fund set up to buy investment grade credit in case the liquidity area raises. Uh, but overall, they've been benefiting so far from the Fed's announcements uh, and their their policy moves without having to outlay any credit or capital so far. So in terms of ETFs, uh, things that we like right now, uh, I think this bodes well for the triple B segment, even though the Fed won't be supporting Canadian issuers. So our triple B ETFs, so that triple B, is a good way to get exposure to corporate bonds in the triple B segment only. So this is kind of a more conservative array of playing, you know, higher risk items without moving into high yield. Uh, so just keep in mind that you know the U.S. the U.S.'s uh, Fallen Angels program is going to be buying U.S. Uh, names only, so the Canadian names won't be supported. But this that triple B is a good way to play uh, the recent announcements of the of the Fed. Thank you, Alfred. And I'll just I'll give you one more thought uh, about your input. Uh, you also mentioned mortgage back. FEMA, of course, has recently brought out a new mortgage back uh, security ETF. It's a unique exposure in the marketplace, and perhaps if if the Bank of Canada will be acting in that in that space, there's an opportunity. Can you speak to how that might fit into an investor's portfolio? Thanks. Sure. So I think, um, you know, people that are looking for uh, AAA assets, mortgage-backed securities are a good fit. Uh, they're essentially backed by the government. So um, the, the credit risk is essentially the same as, as a federal bond. But at the same time, it's a good way to get, you know, additional yield in the, in the portfolio. So they're trading at about 40 basis points above uh, federal bonds. Uh, so it's a good way to get additional yield uh, from the AAA segment of, uh, of bonds. So that essentially, you know, works very well for investors that are looking for a risk-free trade, but at the same time, get the full guarantee of the Canadian government as well. All right. Thank you for that, Alfred. Chris, switch over now to equity income strategies, dividend strategies, where we are seeing, of course, a lot of stimulus come in, but at the same time, there appears to be a string attached uh, to some of this activity. Can you explain how some companies may be forced to suspend dividends or stock share buyback programs? And I think importantly, how this may affect dividend ETFs, where there's really two camps of strategies, those that only look at dividends paid and those that look at dividends paid plus the payout ratio. Thank you. Uh, for sure. I mean, this, this this issue of companies being actually forced by regulatory bodies not to pay dividends is really hitting uh, the financial space as well the most, um, particularly in Europe and the UK. So if you look at uh, the UK, uh, banks and insurance companies were uh, directed, not maybe directed too strong. They were, they, you know, officially they were asked by the Bank of England. But I think when the Bank of England asks you, you know, it's, it's almost like a directive. 
Um, they were they were um, guided to uh, suspend their dividends for the time being. Uh, the reason being just to provide those companies some more financial flexibility as we kind of weave our way through this economic environment. You know, even the Bank of England noted that there wasn't any particular concern with the balance sheets of the companies as of now, uh, but it was a measure that was deemed to be prudent from their point of view. And part of their role is obviously uh, maintaining overall market stability. Uh, but what's interesting that they didn't really say there's a need to do this, but it was kind of like, we just think it would be better if you guys did this for now. Uh, similarly, in Europe, the ECB um, had a similar directive to banks. Um, they actually put a timeline to, uh, sorry, until October to suspend buybacks and, um, and dividends. Um, so again, a temporary regulatory measure. Uh, so that's kind of the, the picture over the seas. In the U.S., um, you know, we're going to be talking about banks, I think, a little bit later in this call. But, uh, you know, what the banks have done in the U.S. Is, is halt buybacks for the time being. So most of them have done that. Um, there's been some calls for U.S. banks to suspend dividends. Uh, but those have really been around the periphery. There's no real strong movement to do that. And even uh, Powell, the chairman of the U.S. Fed, made a statement that that's really not necessary at this time in his estimation. So he believes, you know, they're very well capitalized. And we'll probably talk more about that um, throughout the call. Um, and then lastly, in Canada, there's been no real talk of it kind of as of right now. So it's really, it's something that we're, you know, in terms of the regulatory suspension of dividends, um, affecting more of the EC and European strategies more so than than other ones. But I think it gives us an interesting chance to look at you know how different methodologies are going to be impacted by by something like this, um, whether it's in Europe or potentially perhaps in in, in the U.S. potentially. Um, so again, I mean, you made the point of the differentiation between a methodology that's forward looking or one that only is background looking. And, you know, our dividend methodologies are an in-house methodology that we've developed. And we've always focused on having a forward-looking approach um, to these companies that we hold. Um, obviously, we want high-quality companies paying a, paying a sustainable dividend yield. Uh, the dividend growth is a key component of our screen. Um, but, what we'll, but what we're looking at is, you know, companies that are just under a temporary regulatory suspension, um, for example, in the UK, it's a temporary su suspension of the dividend. Um, you know, we have an ability to look at that forward-looking dividend and to allow it to remain in the portfolio. Um, for strategies that only look backward-looking, you know, they may be forced into really what I would deem as unnecessary turnover in terms of deleting those companies and possibly adding them back at a later date when they reinstate the dividend. Because again, um, you know, even the regulatory authorities are saying we're not asking companies to suspend dividends because we think there's a real imminent threat right now. They're just saying it, they, they think it's a prudent approach. You know, it's something that, you know, quite frankly, also looks good to the populace because obviously, you know, the populace can be somewhat uh, cynical when, when it regards to, you know, large corporations and dividends being paid, this sort of thing. So it's, it's more of a prudent measure, but it's not one that's really rooted in fundamentals. So, you know, our approach, we can look through that. We can, um, you know, synthesize that and take a more of a forward-looking approach. Um, but, you know, strategies that just look backward-looking probably are going to subject themselves to some unnecessary turnover. All right. Thank you for that, Chris. And I do find that, you know, the inclusion of that sustainability conversation is really what's critical to, to have success in a go-forward measure. Um, and certainly as we look at other sectors, such as energy, where 
we can expect more of a longer-term earnings impairment, uh, that's where you might start to see more turnover in, in our portfolio. So I think it's quite interesting when you look at these dividend strategies, they're certainly not all built the same. So understanding uh, the reliance on yield and backward-looking versus looking forward is really, really quite important at a time like this. So now let's let's look at some income-oriented sector plays uh, that might be coming to the forefront right now. Uh, certainly for different reasons. You alluded to banks a little bit earlier, Chris. Uh, can you comment on your outlook for banks and try to support that between north and south of the border? Uh, we're seeing earnings come in, J.P. Morgan, yesterday, a few different banks coming out this morning. Uh, how do you see this market reaction unfolding? And you know, is there a bit of shock around the earning numbers? Thank you. Uh, yeah, for sure. I mean, the the futures this morning um, are, are moving lower, and you know, I, I you know, I think it's really a lot based on the U.S. bank picture. Um, so yeah, we have had some some major earnings come out uh, yesterday. We had the Wells Fargo and J.P. Morgan, and and today we had Citigroup, Goldman, and uh, Bank America. You know, the kind of the consistent trend is that they are putting aside kind of pretty almost, I would say, historical levels of, of capital to guard against potential loan losses. So a few important points here. I think these are not current loan losses. This is all potential loan losses. And, um, you know, for example, J.P. Morgan, you know, their, their typical quarters has been something like around $2 billion they've put away kind of over the past few quarters. And this quarter, I believe that number is eight. So it's grown by a factor of about four times. So this is spooking the market. And, you know, it's something that we've talked about on these calls of you know, these, this earning cycle coming up. Um, there's obviously not going to be good numbers. And, you know, preliminary stats for Canada's GDP is down 9%. Now, obviously, there's not going to be numbers. So it's going to be interesting to see how the market's reacting. So obviously, the market is um, reacting uh, negatively um, in that the loan losses in the U.S., the loan loss provisions, I should say, are larger than expected. You know, I think it's... Now, to put it in context, you know, the U.S. banks, um, I think, go back to that comment I mentioned off the top about Powell, you know, saying not necessary to cut the dividends right now. The U.S. banks are actually in a really good shape. And I think that's something to remember about really a lot of equities in this, you know, this uh, scenario that we're in with the COVID is obviously this is going to be a very challenging scenario. But you know, companies have never been better prepared and better capitalized and more profitable entering it than they are right now. So, you know, U.S. banks have really taken it on the chin. You know, they were down peak to trough. They were down, you know, RZUB ETF would have been down about 50, 55 percent. Um, it's rallied back off the lows, probably down around 40 percent right now, still peak to trough. Uh, so there's a lot of riskers, a lot of uncertainty. You know, I've always said that, the, you know, our that the U.S. bank sector is a you know, I'm going to talk about Canada in a second, but it's very different than Canada. It's much higher volatility. You know, the risk ratings reflect that. I, I still think there's a good opportunity there, but it's a satellite position. It's one that you don't need to have a ton of exposure to, you know, to really get something out of it. So what I mean by that is, you know, a 5% weight, you know, potentially is something that could actually reap a lot of returns if we're willing to look out 12 to 24 months, right? So that's kind of the scenario in the U.S. And, you know, again, we've been waiting for this. We're going to see a lot of negative fundamentals over the next month to two months, I think. And it's, 
you know, it's going to allow, in my mind, it's going to allow an opportunity for someone with a longer term outlook to potentially profit from this. So um, in terms of the Canadian banks, you know, again, I said, there's no talk of dividend cutting. And, you know, a lot of the, a lot of the research analysts um, on the street have really come out and confirmed that, that Canadian banks, they're not going to cut their dividend. Again, they didn't cut it in 2008. There's no plan to cut it right now. Um, we all know on this call that Canadian banks, um, you know, have a very strong uh, position in the marketplace from a competitive point of view. The business models are, are pretty well ringed fenced. So, you know, the dividend is very safe. Um, in terms of the fundamental news flow, you know, Canadian banks will, will uh, finish their quarter at the end of this month, April. So we'll be looking for reports near the end of May. But I think it's a little, you know, a more of a, a well-understood place by the market that these banks continue to be well capitalized, you know, again, even better than the U.S. banks. We're, we're very well capitalized. We've got a good, strong business model. The energy shock is going to play in as a risk. But again, I think, you know, looking at that 12 to 24 month outlook, you know, having dividend yields in the five and a half to six percent range on these banks, I think is pretty interesting. And particular, particularly when I think we can place a high degree of confidence in those dividends, the dividends are safe. So whether that's in our dividend format or our, our equal weight banks or cover call equal weight banks, I think it's also compelling on a more of a medium term outlook. All right. Thank you for that, Chris. Appreciate it. Certainly a lot of attention right now uh, as the U.S. earnings season is, is getting underway. I want to switch gears again and come back to Alfred. Uh, let's have a conversation around where we are in terms of ETF and underlying liquidity. Uh, the reason I ask again is, we, we saw an article this week in the Globe that's raising a lot of questions about some private funds, private debt funds, starting to suspend redemptions. Obviously, that's very different than what might be occurring in the ETF market. However, I'm not going to pretend that the ETFs haven't been impacted. So can you discuss for us how you're finding the liquidity in the ETF spreads now, how that's potentially been improving What's been going on now with fixed income liquidity if we look back to the the really stressed period of the middle of last month? Thank you. Sure. So I would say uh, spreads in the fixed income market, especially in the corporate side, have really improved, um, especially, you know, when we compare to, you know, mid-March when there was really a lack of liquidity. So there's been a fair degree of buying activity that has come back to the market. Uh, but overall, I mean, uh, you know, even when we're out there executing, it's it's you have to be a lot more selective in terms of you know what you're what you're selling and what you're buying. So selling has definitely become easier as buyers have stepped into the market, especially with you know names like Ford that have fallen out of the investment grade space. But you know you would think in this market that it would be a lot easier in terms of buying. So you know even when we're out there buying specific bonds, it's been a little bit more challenging as well because you know spreads have widened both on the bid and offer. And the reason why is because you know, if you're a dealer, the likelihood is that, you know, over the last couple of weeks, uh, you've been buying bonds, but at a much higher level than where they are now. So to protect themselves, uh, what they've been doing is, you know, widening, widening their, their offers as well in order to protect their own balance sheets. But overall, you know, even when you look at the equity markets, you know, seeing the equity market up 2%, 3% on certain days, a lot of the dealers have been taking the approach that, you know, that's going to be supported with credit. So, you know, knowing that that's going to be supported for credit, you know, they, they know that if they hold off today, they can likely get another 30, 35 cents tomorrow. So um, as a result of that, the offering has, has have widened as well. So, 
you know, bid offers have definitely improved both on the ETF level and the individual uh, bonds. But overall, markets haven't normalized, but liquidity has definitely improved over the last couple of weeks. All right. Thank you for that, Alfred. And I think it's very important to recognize that the ETFs bring that extra level of liquidity to the marketplace compared to the underlying bonds. So as much as people have seen wider spreads in ETFs, attempting to trade underlying bonds, where the market's really been frozen and now getting better, is would have been much more challenging. I do have another question for Chris, one that's been coming into my inbox a fair bit of late, and there's been some coverage in the press again, is around REITs. So uh, there are are equal weight uh, read ETF. I think people are quite surprised at at the price action on that ETF, not expecting it to to have fallen as much as it has. Can you comment on the REIT sector and the opportunity that you might see there? Thank you. Uh, for sure. I mean, so like uh, like a lot of sectors, you know, we really went to historical lows. And uh, you know, one of the metrics we look at with REITs is uh, fund from operations yield. So it's a little more common to look at how much money are the REITs generating. And we often look at that in relation to uh, Government of Canada, because this is, you know, REITs are, are known to be, they're, they're an income solution, you know, give you that income exposure. And, you know, particularly with Government of Canada's kind of 10 years sub 1%, um, it's obviously very compelling to find REITs. You know, the fund come operations yield is close to 10%. So, you know, a lot of these companies are generating, you know, yields that would sustain, you know, a heck of a lot of high yield bonds out there. You know, like, so these are high quality companies, good fundamentals, good properties that are yielding kind of in excess of high yield at a business level. So um, if you look at that spread, the government, it's, you know, it's about 9%, you know, in, on top of the 10-year Canada. And look at that historically. We're really, you know, the only other time that compares is 2008. So we've really been near that peak. You know, obviously, COVID is going to be challenging, you know, particularly in the residential REITs, retail REITs, stores are closed. Um, people are paying less rent um, or defaulting on rent payments. So obviously, there's a challenge. but um, Again, if we're willing to look out in that 12 to 24 month region, the challenge also presents an opportunity. So really, we haven't seen, you know, I've never seen REITs at this valuation um, in terms of since we've had the ETF launched. Um, again, it hasn't been at this level since 2008. And, um, you know, just to remind, you know, that one point is these companies came into this crisis in a really good position, right? They've, they've been very successful. They've been well-managed. Um, they're well capitalized, so they're they're in a very good position to, to weather this. So I expect that you know while it's a challenge, obviously the next six months that you know as the economy eventually unlocks that you know this this is going to be a you know it's a it's a good entry twelve you know on a twelve month time horizon. And maybe Mark, if we got a couple of seconds, I wouldn't mind just adding one more comment to the dividend story because I, I did want to quantify. We we're talking about you know banks and financials that are cutting their dividends. But I, I did want to reassure that, you know, this is this is a small portion of the portfolio. And like you said, energy is a sector that we have seen real legitimate dividend cuts and to a lesser extent, consumer discretionary. You know, we've seen some dividend cuts there. But we're looking but looking across the suite of dividends and cover calls, you know, the weight of those cuts that we've seen in the portfolio are kind of in that one to five percent range right now. Um, just a little bit higher in Europe, perhaps about eight percent in Europe, but in North America. 
about one to five percent. So again, just I just wanted to add that going back to the construction of the portfolio, having a sustainable overlay, you know, making sure that we're investing in sustainable names, you know, the impact overall is is actually pretty small right now. So I just wanted to throw that point on as well. All right, thank you for that, Chris, both on the REIT front and the, and the dividend clarification. So with that, I'd like to thank everyone for listening in today, uh, for giving us your time. I'd like to thank Chris and Alfred uh, for answering the questions, providing their insights, and giving us some excellent trade opportunities within the ETF shelf. So with that, thank you once again for joining the call. Enjoy the rest of your day and stay safe. Thank you. Thank you to our panelists, Mark Race, Chris Heeks, and Alfred Lee for joining us on the BMO ETFs podcast. Today, we heard some valuable trade ideas for both the equity and fixed income sides of your clients' portfolios. We also gained valuable insights about the current state of monetary policy in Canada and the U.S. and what advisors should be mindful of in this trading environment. For more information and resources, please contact your regional BMO ETF specialist. If you have any questions you'd like addressed in future episodes, please contact Andrew Vachon at A-N-D-R-E-W.V-A-C-H-O-N at BMO.com. The viewpoints expressed by the portfolio manager represent their assessment of the markets at the time of publication. Those views are subject to change without notice at any time, without any kind of notice. The information contained herein is not and should not be construed as investment tax or legal advice to any party. Investment should be evaluated relative to the individual's investment objectives and professional advice should be obtained with respect to any circumstance. Any statements that necessarily depend on future events may be a forward-looking statement. Forward-looking statements are not guarantees of performance. Views from the Desk has been brought to you by BMO Global Asset Management.